Coming up, the power of policy. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the most important theme park news from each week. Check back tomorrow for haunt-only news. In this episode, we discuss Chapek's latest debacle, the impact of rising oil prices, Tokyo Disney's new pass policy, the cancellation of IAPA Expo Asia, and the latest from Disney's CFO. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged. From our studios in Tampa, Florida and Los Angeles, California, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another week of uh, information and discussion and perhaps even Scott and Philip arguing. I don't know. It may happen. It could happen. Stranger things have happened. It's definitely my favorite part when that happens. I, I do. I, I <laughs> we'll just argue for fun. <laughs> Whoa! So, speaking about arguing for fun, uh, the, our that's first the most section, awkward transition you have ever made, Philip. Because I know where you're going. Not, it is not the most awkward transition because it's okay. That's accurate. true. It's in the top five, though. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so our first set of uh, stories here, which will take the majority of the show, all had to do with the impacts of different policies on the attractions industry and how different people are choosing to make policies. And of course, the first one, which is probably the top headline of news from the past week, is the whole uh, Bob Chapek and the don't say gay bill debacle. And the most recent article on this, we're going to link to from The Verge, which I feel like does a great job summarizing the whole escapade. But uh, most recently, uh, basically, Facing a tidal wave of backlash following Disney's failure to speak out against Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, Disney CEO Bob Chapek formally apologized to employees today for the company's failure to support the queer community. In an internal memo, he addressed the widespread criticism of their previous actions in that. And he said, uh, let's see, thank you all. Thank you to all who have reached out to me, sharing your pain, frustration, and sadness over the company's response to the Florida Don't Say Gay Bill. Speaking to you, reading your messages, and meeting with you have helped me to better understand how our painful silence was, how painful our silence was. It is clear that this is not just an issue about a bill in Florida, but instead yet another challenge to basic human rights. You needed me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights, and I let you down. I'm sorry. And the article that we'll link to explains kind of the the background of it a little bit more. And I think the big takeaway is that they're, for now at least, they are stopping funding for candidate for political candidates in the area, which I think amounts to $300,000 uh, that they were giving to the people that supported the bill. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> Scott. Well, being in Florida, um, I will tell you that I think... I. So as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, I have this, this hits me very close to home, but I also want to keep it into perspective. I also want to keep it in perspective. Um, basically, yes, this is the wrong thing to do. This bill is horrendous and inappropriate. However, does it impact me directly in my life? Probably a tiny, tiny bit where it does impact people in Florida are, um, my, I have friends who have kids yes, who are same-sex parents who have kids and they're going to be taught in their schools that w- there's not a word for what their parents are. Yeah. Um, they're, they're same-sex parents there. That is going to be ignored. That, that part of their culture is going to be erased where my heart also breaks is I know 
10, 11, 12, 13 year olds who have come out as either they either identify as gay or gender fluid. Um, and there is where no, they're going to lose in a trustworthy setting of a school or what is supposed to be a trustworthy setting of a school. Um, they're going to lose the ability to have words to define themselves. And it is going to make it more and more difficult for these kids to understand the feelings that they're having. And I, I think that this bill, you know, I, I, I can't say that I, I don't care what you call me. You know, if you want to call me gay, call me gay. That's fine. If you want to call me Scott, that's probably better. I actually prefer that. Um, but uh, call me what you will, but don't take away the words that help define who people are to children. Um, I had a friend of mine who is uh, cis, cisgender, male, lead, led household. Uh, the mom in the household explained to the, explained to the, uh, was trying to explain to their kids about some friends of theirs who are same-sex parents. And she said it was so nice to use the word gay because that way I didn't have to explain what they did because that's language a young child can't understand. Mm -hmm. If you take away the words that they can, then it's just going to make it far more difficult for people in the future to either identify who they are or to be compassionate about who their friends are and, or their family members. So is it going to impact old gays like myself? No, it probably isn't. Is it going to impact the next generation? Absolutely. And that's shameful. And I think, uh, you know, I, I applaud, um, I applaud Chapek for coming out and saying, you know what, we were too silent, um, mainly because, you know, again, being in Florida, the, 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 uh, the Disney, the Disney organization in Florida has a very strong LGBTQ plus workforce that is Correct. part of Disney and they are parents and they are parents of young children. And that's who this bill is going to affect. So um, I, I hope that more and more people understand that this is not about, you know, um, this is not about trying to get rid of pride. This is trying to get rid of pride for young people. This is, the word gay is not a bad word. And we, I, there, are far, there are far worse words in our in our. Yeah, there are worse language. words. Yeah. And um, so I think that this bill is, um, is, is you has been uniquely positioned to get it passed so that no one feels excluded. They're not excluded. They're erased. Yeah. And that's what infuriates me about this. But I will say that I am thrilled that, um, that Bob Chapek has come out, come out and recognized that Disney was horrendously silent. And, um, and I am, pr I'm very proud to see that, um, the funding has been pulled from the people who support this. Um, but I think, I think what this all comes down to is in this world, we've, been, we've gone through such a, a term or such a time here where we've been divided that mm. it, it means that we have to, to somehow make a stand or we have to make our, our position clear. We can't just yeah. say no, because by doing nothing, you are helping the opposition. And, and I think that is a really important point that everybody should take from this yeah. particular story. I, I am infuriated by JPEG, but I'm trying to figure out how much of that is, is just like the position he came into and, and how much of it is like what the other shareholders and other people like, what kind of, you know, I, I feel like a lot of it is, he's probably a straw man for a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff happening. Um, and I think that's kind of his job, but, um, but it is infuriating 
this whole thing is 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 infuriating to me on on levels. Um, I, I do I kind of am trying to empathize, right? I do kind of understand. Um, and to your point, Scott, you just said it's kind of an impossible situation now that people find themselves into, and that's what makes it such a shame. Is their original um, statement? It's not like they said nothing. To, to be clear, they did put out a memo originally. So the the order of events is the bill got brought up. It was of large concern before the bill went to a vote. Uh, they the employees of Disney did ask Disney to do something. Disney gave a response, which was that they didn't want to do anything. And I think that was the problem. I think there was. And I don't even think there's much flaws with the response they gave. Uh, in in the original response, he said, corporate statements do very little to change outcomes or minds. The best way for our company to bring about lasting change is through the inspiring content we produce, the welcoming culture we create, and the diverse community organizations we support. And that actually, 10, 10 15 years ago, you know, that would have been a fine answer, as in kind of being like, you know, politics is politics, but our company is our company, and they are separate, and we, we do we make it good at our company essentially and and we do this is our job in the world is telling you know stories that involve these characters except where we are now is very different you know as a culture and that's not just not going to fly anymore uh, clearly from this you know where where you're not going to be able to just kind of dip out of the conflict and by not taking a stand and the other criticism that Disney got for it is you know a lot of people said basically that the that is not true because a lot of their animations are kind of quote unquote whitewashed of just getting rid of queer characters and writing them out of the scripts. And so you, so it's just made it even worse because then you got a lot of the animators that were like, you know what we, we want, here's all the characters we wanted to include in these Pixar films, but that management took out because they didn't want queer people in. And that is really, really just worse. Um, And then I think that, wait a minute, that's a whole separate issue. You cannot compound those two together. That's unfair. That is Except unfair. that he literally said the best way our company to bring about lasting change is through inspiring content. <laughs> so he literally drew them himself. And then like, uh, they're like, actually, you know, this content is not that. So what I'm saying, my overall point is that he, there was really not a good way for him to navigate through this. It was an impossible situation from the get go, because no matter what you did, somebody's going to be angry with you. And that's the problem with, with kind of as attractions, us trying to navigate these public spheres and I think a lot of it has to go back to what we talked about several times previously, which is there's low trust in so many organizations now. And some of the highest trust that exists is with companies, which is an advantage for us because it means that our customers trust us. It's also an advantage because we can be experts. You know, the aquarium and the zoo and the theme park can be experts in animals and, and in storytelling and in the fantasies that we create. But now the downside of that is these type of situations where since since we are high trusted brands and we're expected to be experts in this, when things come up in this political sphere, we're expected to comment on it clearly. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where the Disney model they were thinking that they could stay out of it, and clearly they can't. And well, the, uh, to me, the challenge to me the challenge is they said they were staying out of it, and yet now we're finding out that they had they had they were supporting. Um, political figures yeah. who supported this bill. So they weren't, in essence, staying out of it. So, But also so, everybody does. I mean, who does? You know what I mean? I, I feel like that's a standard practice that I think a lot of most public companies do donate to political entities on both sides. And I'm sure that oh, I yeah, feel like that's pretty standard. They're hedging Correct. their bets. They're having, guess, yeah, everyone guess, hedges their bets. 
I guess my point, I guess my point is, you know, and you've heard me use this analogy before training animals and training humans is exactly the same thing. You use positive yes. reinforcement when they do something yes. good. You tell them you did good. You may have yes. screwed up before, but you did good here. And that's, that's my whole point with Chapek. I think the fact that they could, yeah. you know, he could have continued to just let this pass and, and let it go because the bill went through. He, he did do the right thing. Yeah. He the did do the right through. thing. And I, I, to, to demonstrate how wrong his initial stance was, he did do the right thing by literally just saying that they didn't support it, which is initially what he said would not matter. <laughs> you know, initially he's like, words don't matter. Uh, you know, corporate statements do very little to change outcomes or minds. And yet when he apologized, everybody was happy and what it did was was change minds but it didn't but it didn't change politics he right. was right he was right in the fact that it didn't change politics you know yeah. i i want i want everything to, i want there to be you know hearts and flowers every time a company does something and a company that does something that i agree with but the reality is you know his first statement was accurate his second yeah. statement is accurate yeah. you know it's just you have to make sure that its interpretation is there and that you are recognizing who your audience is. And my guess is, my guess is that because Disney has so many LGBTQ plus um, team members, mm -hmm. cast members, my yeah. guess is that they went, whoa, wait a minute. We're supporting you as a, as a company and, and you can't stand up for us. When in essence, he was trying just to not stand up for anything. Yes. So Correct. And I think that, that that is, in essence, the biggest takeaway for, for, for all of our listeners and for us as we're going back to our teams, thinking about the team members now expect this. They expect us to be kind of, if, if they're supporting us and working for us, then us the same for them in, in, in a public setting, you know, saying, kind of standing, putting our money where our mouth is, I guess, you know, as, as a company, as a leader. The importance so. of a clear corporate culture. Well, Okay, our next story on policies, I didn't really want to make a segue to that, that one, uh, is uh, the United States, of course, yeah. so let just start something new here, because this is very let, different. Yeah, let's start something new. Um, it, it's sort of different. The United States has banned imports of Russian oil, liquid natural gas, and coal. Um, I, we're not experts in this, so we're not going to dig, again, as we said last time, we're not going to dig into the, the invasion. We're not going to dig into any of these things. We're really just going to focus on how it impacts the attractions. And the quick takeaways, I think that this impacts attractions. Um, it's going to take about six to eight months for the global market to kind of recover from the shortage. And that's, of course, going to cause plane tickets and gas at the pump to rise, which is so basically travel expenses will rise for the end purchaser coming to attractions and also transportation costs and the kind of ancillary costs of manufacturing for theme parks will also rise. And the other thing here, there's been a lot being thrown around about how we really don't import that much, which we don't. It's like you know three percent or something. So, um, but oil is 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 a, is a global price. <laughs> so so any shortage of supply will will echo through all of the price for oil that everybody is buying, since it's based on a global index. It's not based on a country index. So anyway, just to like kind of point that out that. We've already seen it now. It's going to costs are going to increase. I'm sure you've already we've already seen the memes of how like people driving to Disneyland. It's like <laughs> like add an extra fifty dollars to your uh, park hopper because of the price in gas. It'll cost you to drive you there. So that that's going to have a trickle down for the next six to eight months in in our guests and and uh, how far they're willing to travel or not. And we talked about this before already, but just to kind of 
um, underline to come back to that. There has been developments. Is it going to get worse than it was when we talked about it last week? So I finally was able to afford my tickets to Galactic to Galactic Star Cruiser, and now I can't afford the gas to get there. Is pretty much, yeah. Well, no. I the uh, the idea here is you know gas has gone up and down, and um, we just. It goes back to, I think, what we've been saying since the very beginning of this podcast, and that is, you know, be prepared for the un, for the unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, inevitable but unexpected. And I, and I think yeah. that's yeah. Uh, something that we have to continue to keep our minds on no matter what it is, whether it's gas prices, whether it's um, social distancing, whether it's, uh, I don't know, content trending. We just have to recognize that the world changes a lot more quickly now than it used to. And I think the pandemic had something to do with it. I think our recent political situation has had something to do with it. I think this new conflict or war that is taking place in Ukraine has something to do with it. Um, But they're all happening much faster than they used to. So have lead multiple paths, have multiple plans, because otherwise you're going to get left behind. Oh, that's a great trend. So speaking of having multiple plans and contingency plans, uh, Tokyo, (laughs) the, the Tokyo Disney Resort is up to some shenanigans. Um, the Tokyo Disney Resort is, to give some history, a little bit of history, they had discontinued their annual passes and they have still not really recontinued them. They've just issued now a limited number of multi-day visit passports for summer. And these are really only for local residents. And essentially the Tokyo Disney Resort will sell multi-day visit passports on March 9th and it allows guests to visit a park of their choice two times per month valid from May through July, so six visits in total. So it's kind of like a, a weird, not really annual pass, but just for residents to like kind of appease them, et cetera. But the, the big uh, thing I think was maybe skimmed over in, in the release of this, which is why I thought this was a good transition from Scott's point about contingency plans, is that they have a, a, a new policy that basically there are no refunds for days unused or for closures. So if if the park closes uh, for you know uh, COVID or uh, invasion or any sort of reason the park might close, you don't get a refund for the tickets, which is kind of the opposite of of the previous policy with the annual passes where there were refunds were issued. So I'm guessing this is um, this is of course this is not operated by Disney. Just to remind everyone out there, it may be called Tokyo Disney Resort, but it is operated by Oriental Trading. Um, and, and the land is owned by a different company. So it's, um, <laughs> it's, so it sounds like their contingency plan, Scott, is to just say, you know what, if you have unused tickets and we close for something unusual, like say a pandemic, um, then you just don't get any money back. Sorry. <laughs> yep. And, and, and the thing is, you know, I, I'd fault them for it, except for the fact they're telling us up front. Well, I mean, I know it's, I know it's kind of, I know it's, I feel like weird. most guests don't know. We just know. Cause you know, we read the fine print. Well, but again, they're, I'm not, I'm not praising them for this choice. Uh, I, I don't think it's a good guest centered choice. I don't No, I think it'll backfire. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they're not changing policy midstream. Correct. That's and, a good point. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, uh, if if you don't like strawberry Kool-Aid, don't buy strawberry Kool-Aid, I think is the is the answer there. Um, but it also means that you need to kind of read those read that fine print as well. Um, I am like I said, I am not saying this is the a right choice. I'm not saying this is a, a wise choice. And I would even go so far as to say, um, and again, I don't know what the laws are in in Tokyo, but I would even go so far as to say, 
if you're unable, if a company is unable to provide the service that you have purchased, that there could be some legal ramifications against it. So I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to backfire or not. Um, I know that, like, for example, in Florida, because I do know that Disney park, that Disney resort quite well, um, prior to COVID, I think Disney closed maybe three times in the the 20 years that I had lived here, and that was for her. Mm-hmm. So um, that's sort of like saying um, they've made it very clear that they're not going to refund for alien attacks. You know, um, we haven't had any, but we're not going to refund for it. So I, I, I again... The world keeps changing. I think this is a way for them to actually say, eh, here's a here's where we need to stand now based on what we've learned from what can happen with COVID um, and and perhaps invasions or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you in the fact that I don't think it's a smart move from a guest standpoint. Um, however, they're being straightforward about it. They've made a decision and, and communicated, or should I say communicated that... Um, up front. So again, can't slap them too much, but don't think it's a good choice. Yeah. Overall though, it does continue the trend that we have been seeing that Disney has been pretty transparent. Well, transparent on the shareholder meetings about pushing, of course, which is that, uh, really basically trying to get away from the local or trying to get a higher spend per guest and also reducing capacity because it's, it, this limited pass does both of those things. It allows them to better control capacity. It also allows them to get, more guests in that are maybe not local, so they'll have a higher spend. You know, and of course, overall, it's a higher spend because if you don't want to be locked into this six-visit thing, then you just have to buy individual tickets, even if you're a local. Right. right? So and it, I think it does achieve all those goals. Right. And I think that they, you know, my guess is that they have looked at, you know, how many times a quote-unquote former season pass holder actually yeah. visited the park um, or visited the resort and and have decided, well, six is about, Two times a month is about average, so that's what we'll do. And it gives everybody a little bit more control um, without giving carte blanche to everybody um, who buys a a season pass. And keep season passes affordable for guests. Season passes, in quotes. um, Affordable for guests so that they they get some savings off of the the single ticket, but it's not not, uh, overwhelming the system by allowing them to come every single day. Yes, yes. Yeah, especially for summer, you know, a busy time as we're coming into it. Um, Well, meanwhile, also in Asia, we have some news from IAPA. Uh, IAPA, The IAPA Expo Asia 2022 has been canceled due to COVID-19 related uncertainties in the Hong Kong region. The press release says, unfortunately, the ongoing impact of COVID-19 in Hong Kong and continued travel and business restrictions have reduced the feasibility of hosting a successful expo in Asia in June. After careful consideration and with significant input from members, exhibitors, and the IAPA board of directors and our team, we have decided it's best to cancel this year's IAPA Expo Asia. So uh, there really isn't actually, that's basically it. There's no other <laughs> reasoning. <laughs> we got no other data. That's, that, that one sentence is it. I will say the reason that this is important from a larger standpoint, and I, I will share some Mm, Gantam information. I'm trying to figure out how to say it in, in a way that's not uh, violating the agreements. But basically, sued? is that what you're saying? Though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, you know, wh- why this is a, a larger issue is that a lot of component pieces and a lot of uh, base manufacturing still, even from the U.S., comes from China in in the in the theme park and supplier area. And Gantam is a manufacturer. We do get some components that come from there, and one and our factory is located in Shanghai. And they're still on a 
leftovers from the zero COVID policy, which means that they will lock down entire buildings if uh, a case is suspected or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's been, for us recently, you know, there, there was even a, a lockdown that affected our factory where it wasn't having to do with any of our team having COVID or anyone, but just kind of the neighboring building, you know, having something that was suspected uh, in, in contact tracing. So they had to lock down the entire thing. And so it just is to underline that there are still going to be the echoes of unexpected shutdowns like this cancellation and et cetera, just because of the policies that are in Asia that are so different from the US. You know, I, I kind of feel like in the US, the endemic word has been thrown around a lot and we really are trying to move on as, a, as attractions. And um, of course now we have the next, this year's flavor, which is Russia invasion. But that aside, you know, there's still this different policies in Asia that will definitely impact our production and our ability potentially to open stuff on time. And, and it reinforces wherever there's a possibility, uh, have multiple supply chains. Uh, and I realize that's yes. difficult because, yes. because China has been, well, Asia in general has been, been a cornerstone, such, yeah. such a cornerstone mm -hmm. for affordable components that are used as Philip says in almost everything. And he knows this far better than I do. Um, but if that doesn't show, um, you know, more than or as much as anything else, the importance of having multiple supply chains or developing multiple supply chains, I, I don't know what is. I mean, because you're right. If you've got zero, if you've got zero, uh, zero tolerance for COVID, and that is the 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 policy of the nation. Yeah, not much we can do, you know. Um, so, yeah. so plan those things, plan those, work those things into your plans. Yeah. Extend your timelines. That is the easiest thing to do. It is not the most popular, but it is by far the easiest. Um, and, and have those multiple, wherever possible, have those multiple supply chains. Yeah. Have multiple supply chains and extend that. And also really extend it because I'm already seeing this as a manufacturer. I'll, I guess I'll kind of like gripe out of school for some of our clients. I don't want to name names, but you know, there. It seems like there are some some of clients that are not understanding that this kind of stuff just happens. And I think it's because in the U.S. we're like we've moved past it. But mm -hmm. you know, we some like something like this as a manufacturer, we have no control over it. Our factory gets shut down for two weeks minimum. And that adds two weeks onto the orders we're doing, and we just literally can do nothing about that. We cannot. We cannot fight the Chinese government in this, right? So there, there's no recourse. And of course, we are working to establish, as you said, I am working to make, you know, a backup supply chain to make contingency plans. But one does not simply pick up a new supply chain in Mexico, you know, overnight, Correct. you know, with, with specialty pieces. And the manufacturing of theme parks and of the equipment that we use is so niche and specialized. And a lot of places don't care you know honestly because i know we think disney is big and all these places are big but the volume of of even a roller coaster is not enough to really attract a lot of uh, other people you know it's so specialized it's so small that that's the problem that we're having so just to underscore that right and and i'm not i don't mean to insinuate that it's easy to just pick up the phone and all of a sudden have a completely new supplier because i i understand that completely but I don't think that it, this this need for multiple supply chains is going to change in the future because the more you can establish those, and you know, obviously, Philip, you are doing this. Um, the more you can establish those, the more protection you have moving forward based on 
whatever can happen in the future. Yeah. Well, I don't really know how to segue into this one, but the next story, <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, the future? I don't know. The future. So uh, the uh, Disney C CFO, who I, I just love her, uh, McCarthy, she, 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 she has some great little uh, notes she gives when she's doing presentations. So she gave a presentation uh, recently, and she did share some interesting numbers about uh, what the theme park is, where they're going in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I will share here from a presentation. She said that Disney's theme park margins for the last quarter were 32%, which McCarthy described as pretty damn good, especially considering that the cruise ships are operating at reduced levels. Again, she knows that they would be considering what full capacity should be, perhaps not full to the gills, as, as she said. Uh, so basically, 32%, I don't think we've received a straight-up number recently, but 32% is higher than it was previously. So it shows that they're succeeding in increasing the profit margin of their offerings and also shows that overall they're, again, underlying their their idea of reducing the capacity overall at the park so they're not as full, but while simultaneously increasing the profit margin of the people that are there. So we heard that, of course, we could extrapolate that previously, but it is a, a different thing to have her actually say the words and give us the direct line. And I'm going to pair this with a related story, which also kind of got buried this week, which is Disney Plus is, of course, a, a big piece of their puzzle now. And Disney Plus has announced that it's expanding its offerings with ad-supported subscriptions. So basically, they're going to offer subscriptions now for Disney Plus that are that cost less but include ads. And their idea with this is to try and use that as a way to, to bring in more subscribers by making an option for a cheaper offering. So they're, they're trying to expand their offering. So um, it's kind of opposite angles, but we've talked about this before where, you know, they're, they're moving to Disney plus being the accessible thing mm -hmm. for the, for the brand and the parks being the more exclusive, higher profit margin thing. And, and, you know, again, they're, they are diversifying their approach, which I yeah. think is smart. Because just like you want to diversify your supply chain, you can diversify your uh, guest-facing offerings as well, and find the right offering for the right demographic. And I think that's I think that is a wise choice. Um, I, I I think that probably the most exciting thing is that we actually have a quote from someone who worked for Disney that includes the word "damn," but that's <laughs> just me. Um, it kind of shows that you know Mickey's growing up. I guess I don't know. All right. Well, we are out of time for this week, and uh, so I hope you I hope you have enjoyed all of these uh, these different policy impacts that we've discussed here in uh, in this last half hour. Um, Philip and I will both be at uh, <clears throat> at the Transworld Trade Show coming up. So if you are uh, planning to attend, please stop by um, the Haunted Attraction Network booth. We will both be there at some point in time uh, throughout the course of the show. Uh, stop by, say hi, tell us your listeners. We'd love to see you and, and let us know what you think of the show. Um, if you do enjoy the show, the best thing you can do for us is tell your friends so that next week it won't just be you listening, but you and all of your friends. Until next week, on behalf of Philip and myself, thank you so much. This is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. We'll see you in seven days. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. <laughs>